are just high and holy and even a little beyond human comprehension, and that's where we find ourselves tonight. Um, certainly all of Scripture is holy. It's all good for us, but I think you understand the sentiment. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is our reading, and in this passage, we're going to build off of where we left off, which was several weeks ago, so I'll try to give a quick, um, a quick summary of the first four verses. Paul is urging the Philippians to be united, and division, uh, whether, how do I say it, whether obvious or under, kind of kept under wraps, but division within a church is harmful, and certainly certain types of division are even more harmful than others, and he's urged them in numerous ways to be unified, and in this passage, he urges them to be unified through the attitude of humility. And he's urged them and instructed them and told them to be humble and to be others-minded. But now in Philippians 2, verse 5, he calls their attention to the Lord Jesus. And he, in these following verses, is going to give the ultimate example of humility, the ultimate example of others-mindedness. And um, may I just say that this is a passage that is deep, it is beautiful, it is wonderful, and um, I, I know that we will not uh, get everything that's truly here, but I hope that we can get something that the Spirit would really apply and use in our own hearts and lives. Philippians 2.5, let's stand for the reading if you're able. Philippians 2.5, we're going to read down to verse 11. And as we read the scripture, I hope you'll give your full attention and heart and mind to it. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took on himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's have prayer together. Pastor Jeremiah, would you pray for us, please? Amen. Please be seated. Most of you know that I was raised up north in Minnesota and uh, ministering in the city 
there's not, uh, I guess I should say there's a different sort of Southern culture in the city. Um, and certainly there's some Southern culture here in, in Charlotte, um, different traits and elements. But when I went to Ambassador, which was a little more out in the rural portions, the country element of Southern culture was very strong out there. And I learned a number of things. And some of the things that I learned were lingo things that I'd never heard before. In fact, I remember there was one time I was on outreach and I was knocking on a door and talking to someone and I could not understand a word they were saying. I made him say it three times. I could not understand, but, um, but there were certain phrases that I hadn't heard or certain um, little lines. And one of the ones that I'm told and I've heard a few times is, and there's a northern version of this, but down here it's, hey, y'all, watch this. And hey, y'all, watch this is soon to be followed by something that you probably shouldn't be doing and something that's either dangerous or crazy or stupid, and you get to watch the fallout from it then. And uh, sometimes you learn what not to do or, you know, how things blow up or how people jump off of things. Hey, y'all, watch this. Well, it wouldn't be very fun for someone to say, now, everyone sit down. Guess what I'm going to do next? Next, the first thing I'll do is I'll stand and I'll walk, walk over here. And if they were to give a verbal play-by-play, -play, that would not be very, you know, that wouldn't really mean a whole lot. But actually watching someone do it would be very intriguing. Well, after someone says, hey, y'all watch this, the next thing that people would ask if they recover and live is, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? And, uh, you know what, lead me down the, the mental process that brought you to say this, to do this, to try this out. These two elements of, hey, y'all watch this, and what were you thinking? The, hey, y'all watch this is the example, and the, what were you thinking is the mindset. And in these verses, we see the example, and we see the mindset. And the question, what were you thinking, is actually vital for verse 5. Because Paul tells the church, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When he gives this command to them, he's saying, let this thinking be in you. Let these thoughts be in you. And when he says let, he's not saying just allow this mind to come upon you. No, it's, it's actually a command. He's telling them this thinking must be in you. He's telling them you need this thinking, this same thinking that was also in Christ Jesus. What this tells me is that the battle for humility starts in the mind. It starts off in our thinking. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but if you just casually let your mind go, your mind can just roam and it can have thoughts kind of pop into it and it can think about things that maybe you say, wow, how did I get thinking over there, right? And you just sort of let your mind go and sometimes as we go through our day, we simply listen to our mind and whatever pops up into it. This verse is telling us to take a different approach. Think upon the things, think with the mindset that Jesus had. Actively think the way Jesus did. You say, that sounds kind of hard to me. How do I think the way Jesus did? Jesus thought perfectly. Jesus is a lot smarter than me. How is it that I can think in the way that Jesus thought. Well, one of the ways Paul's going to help us with this is he's going to show us the example. The example helps us to see this thinking in action and the way Jesus thought in order to act in this way. 
In verse 6, he goes on to lay out this picture of Jesus. And I've entitled the message, Down from Heaven. I kind of left that part out. Down from Heaven. And verse 6 and 7 show a stunning decline, a, a stunning reversal of the position and the situation of Jesus. Let me just be clear. This passage tonight is very difficult doctrinally. And if you don't understand why, it's because Jesus was God and he was man. He is God and he is man. And how that all works together is very difficult. And so I'll try to be careful with my words, but if I slip up, I'll say something heretical, okay? So please don't um, hold that to me, but I'll try to be careful. Verse 6 says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. We'll stop there. These, this verse is talking about before Christ came to earth, there was a mindset of Jesus. There was a thinking of Jesus. And the way this thinking happened in real time and in the way it unfolded is that Jesus was in the form of God. Now when it says form, sometimes we immediately think of the form of a chair, the form of a pulpit, the form of my hand, right? Human form. The word here does not mean shape. Jesus was not in the shape of God. No, the word form here has the idea of substance or essence. Do you remember how the Bible tells us God is spirit? Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was God. He was spirit. And the Bible says that while he was God, while he was in deity, and yes, he was in deity in earth as well, which we'll talk about, but before humanity entered into the scene for him, he had a thought process and a mind process. And it says that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now this phrase is very difficult, but let me try to lay out the idea here. Have you ever heard of someone say, you got to watch out for Sharon? I use Sharon around church because we don't have any Sharons, okay? So if we have a Sharon joining the church, I'm going to have to find a new name. You say, watch out for Sharon because Sharon has sticky fingers. You know, some of the kids are already furrowing their brow. Sticky fingers? What does sticky fingers mean? Now, I know it's the name of a barbecue sauce, but that's not it either. Sticky fingers doesn't mean unwashing hands. It means, in the idea behind sticky fingers, is that they grab onto things that aren't theirs, and they walk away with them. We also call that, what do we call that, kids? When someone grabs something that's not theirs and takes it. Tomorrow? Stealing. There's another big word called theft. But there's another word right in the verse. What would that word in the verse be? Rob. Robbery. And the verse says that Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, this word robbery, there's a lot of ink spilled and people saying all sorts of things about this and what it means and all the details of it. But it has this idea of to grab, to grasp, to hold on to something. And when we see the word robbery, we think of taking something that's not yours. Well, it's certainly true doctrinally that Jesus knew he was God. He wasn't trying to hold on to, or I should say more specifically, he was not trying to grab something that wasn't already his. Rather, what the verse is saying with this robbery, this grabbing, is that Jesus thought it not robbery 
to be equal with God. But, the contrast is very important. Instead of holding on to that robbery, that holding on to, instead of holding on to his equality with God, verse 7 says, what does it say? But made himself of no reputation. Does God have a reputation? You better believe it. In heaven, the angels worship Him. In heaven, He is the center of attention. In heaven, there's no one higher than God Almighty. God has a reputation. I hope you know the reputation of God. But the Bible here says that Jesus, in His thinking, did not hold on to His position, His, uh, if I could use the reputation that the Bible uses here. He didn't hold on to that reputation, but instead He made Himself in the form of a servant. I'm sorry, he made himself of no reputation and took on himself the form of a servant. And what this is talking about is letting go. Jesus let go. And when I say let go, this is another thing that, again, you have to qualify this and explain this a little bit because it's really hard to wrap our minds around. But Jesus, when he left heaven, and specifically when he took on humanity, there were certain aspects of deity that, couldn't be displayed with humanity at the same time. You say, what are you talking about? Pastor John, this makes no sense. Well, let's use a few examples. How many of you are familiar with the story of the transfiguration of Jesus? And it says he was transfigured before them and light began to shine forth, right? Now question, do you think that when Jesus as God in eternity passed, do you think he's shown in eternity? Absolutely. The idea of glory has the idea of shining. Jesus there in heaven was shining, but when he came to earth, did he shine? Not normally, but he did on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? And so in that moment, there was a special honor that Peter, James, and John had, that they got to see the glory of Jesus, at least partially, that others did not get to see, and it says this glory shined forth. So Jesus, as he walked through, people didn't, you know, say, man, this room's kind of dark. Oh, Jesus is here. Never mind. It's not dark in this room anymore. That, that didn't happen. Why? Because his glory was veiled. It was covered. It was restrained. It was set aside. All these different terms we could use. Um, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but do you remember the, the Christmas song we sing? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. And the Bible is saying we have an example in Jesus in that he was God of gods and yet he set it aside. He let it go. He chose something other than that. And this is where it gets really difficult because when Jesus was a man, he was still God. It wasn't as though he set it aside and said, I'm not going to be God anymore. That's not how it worked. But he did set aside some of the the exercise of some attributes. When Jesus was in one place at one time in his body, right? And the Bible says he did not, he was not in the temple and he was not over here because he was here. But God Almighty is everywhere, right? And we could give some other examples, but the point is that Jesus let go of something that was the highest of value. If we are to walk in the steps of Jesus, we are going to be called to let go of some things. What, is he, what do you think that God could call us to let go of? Sin, that would be a good one for sure. Is there something that the Bible calls us to let go of? Maybe something even from right here in the passage. 
It says he made himself of no reputation. Maybe God would call us to let go of our reputation because he's trying to accomplish something bigger. You ever had someone say something unkind about you? You ever had someone lie about you? There are times where we, we might think, boy, I need to fight them. Boy, I need to just go at it. But we need to remember that we have an example of humility in Jesus. How about this? When Jesus left the glories of heaven, did he leave behind great wealth? He did. He left behind astounding wealth. In fact, 2 Corinthians even says, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. And God sometimes calls us to let go of wealth. Sometimes it's wealth you already have. Sometimes it's the wealth you could have had, right? Sometimes it's just a, a, a calling where in humility, God calls you to let go of that pleasure, let go of that opportunity. Um, there are some things that we let go of because there's something more important. Just recently, I had a good friend and I called him up. I said, I, I'd forgotten we had agreed on something for meeting up. And I called him. I said, hey, I want to talk about meeting up. He said, we aren't going to meet up. He said, I was supposed to be in, and he named this country on the other, like far, far away. I was supposed to be in over there. He said, but I'm in New York City and my dad's in the hospital and I'm headed to Chicago to meet my dad. You know what he had to do? He had to let go of his trip. And it was a trip that, look, he's not a super wealthy guy that just can fly around and do whatever. This was a very special trip to him. But you know what he did? He let go of it because he said there's something over here that's more important. Christian, can I remind us that if Jesus can let go of the glories of heaven, then certainly you and I can let go of the little trinkets that we hold so dear. And sometimes it's our reputation. Sometimes it's our money. Sometimes it's our time. Sometimes it's our energy. But you know what letting go is? Letting go is humility. I don't know about you, but humility comes very slowly to me. I, I struggle with this. Prayer and humility are two areas I struggle. And when we look at Jesus and we look at ourselves, we see such a huge distinction, such a huge difference. Jesus, God of gods, comes to earth. And then we sometimes struggle to let go of some of the most minuscule things sometimes. We can't let one statement go. We can't let one argument end. And for me, this is a challenge. But the path for me to grow in this is not to just say, all right, John, be humble today. But my path of growing in this is to look at Jesus and to meditate on what he did and to remember that he now wants to live his life in me. He wants to live his work in me. And so just as he left heaven and came to earth, now he lives in me and calls me to let go and to leave and to set aside those things that he calls me to set aside. We must keep moving. It says, took on himself the form of a servant. He took on himself the form of a servant. Made himself of no reputation. That's the word where we get this idea of emptying or of letting go. But then he put something in it. He, he took on something, right? So he let go of the, the display of deity. And then he took on the form of a servant. We have the form of God in verse 6. The form of a servant in verse 7. Jesus, God of gods, took on the form of a servant. The servant serves. A servant gives. If you follow the ministry of Jesus, you'll find him serving. He served 
so many different people in so many different ways. He served through teaching. He served through healing. He served through talking. Sometimes I believe he served through listening. He served others. Even, even do you remember this? When he was on the cross, he took, looked at John and said, Behold your mother. And looked at Mary and said, Behold your son. I, I said that wrong. He looked at Mary. Yeah, you got the idea. He handed the care of his mother over to John. You know what that means before that time? That Mary was under the care of Jesus. And Jesus served his mother. He took care of his mother. He loved his mother. And we assume that because of no reference that Joseph had passed. And Jesus took care of his mother. That's service. Jesus washed feet. That's service. He took on him the form of a servant. And so humility is service. And sometimes in our hearts we feel that we are above certain things. We are above a certain level of discomfort, sacrifice, um, mistreatment, or uh, lack of thanks, or whatever it might be. And it says Jesus took on him the form of a servant. Do you remember the story of, of Jesus healing the ten lepers? Nine of them ran to the priest, and only one of them came and said, thank you. I think those other nine were treating him like a servant. He had served them. He had rescued and delivered them. But he took on him the form of a servant. And it says he was made in the likeness of men. Jesus made in the likeness of men. Now, for Jesus to be in the likeness of men means this word likeness has more of an emphasis on the external. Both likeness and appearance seem to be speaking of the external or the physical, we might say, Whereas the word form is more of the spirit, the internal, the inner person. The form of God, form of a servant. But then it says the likeness and the appearance. Both of these words are used here in reference to his body and his humanity. So Jesus left heaven and he became human. But not only did he become human, he became a servant among humans. Do you see that? So... Even within humanity, Jesus humbled himself because he became a servant. And so we see that not only has the God from heaven become man, but among men he has now humbled himself to be a servant. And then it goes on to say he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he humbled himself and became obedient to death. This tells me that it was Jesus' choice. He humbled himself. Now, there is the phrase in English, so-and-so was humbled, but then there's the phrase, he humbled himself. And do you know that the Bible tells us to do the very same thing? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. That's James 4, 10 and 1 Peter 5, 6. Jesus humbled himself. He chose to humble himself. You know, some of these other, so some of these verses, or I'm sorry, some of these phrases say things were done to Jesus and other phrases say Jesus did them himself. Did you notice that? So let's read through that again. Verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took on himself the form of a servant. And then it says, and was made in the likeness of men. 
This shows that Jesus chose to leave heaven, but also the Father and the Spirit were involved in Jesus leaving heaven. And when he was born as a human, it was the choice of Jesus to enter humanity, but it was also the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Father to bring Jesus into human form. Remember how it says that she conceived of the Holy Ghost? But now it says in verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took on himself the form of a servant. And then it says, and was made in the likeness of men. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But in the fullness of the, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Jesus comes to earth. Then when he's on earth as a human, he humbles himself among humans and he becomes a servant. But then the text goes further. Verse 8 says, He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Obedient to death. Jesus, in his humility, was not just done by being a servant, but he continued in his obedience even to the point of death. Now, this phrase, to death, that word to there, is a very specific uh, Greek word, and it, it can have several ideas. One is that it's up to the point in time of. So it's like a time measurement, up until death. The other is a measurement of degree, even to the extent of death. He was obedient. Do you know what the most basic, fundamental human right is? Like the first right before all other rights. Does anybody know what right this is? What's the most basic fundamental human right? You say free speech, even before that. Freedom of religion, even before that. What's the most basic? It's in our founding documents. The right of life. The right to live. The right to live. That is the most basic fundamental human right. And the God of glory became a man, but then he humbled himself and he became a servant. And in his humility, he even obeyed to the extent of giving up his life for ours. That is humility. But then it goes on to say, it was not only that he died, but that he died, what? The death of the cross. Verse 6 begins, God of very gods. And verse 8 ends with Jesus dead on a cross. That is the range of Jesus' coming down. One preacher said it this way, when Jesus came down, he came all the way down. He who had all authority and all rights gave them up even to the very right of living. We don't understand the cross all that well, especially in our culture. The Old Testament said, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That Jewish mindset and the Jewish teaching is that those who were suspended and killed on trees and laid out for all to see that that was a curse. The Roman mindset Cicero was a Roman writer, and this is what he said about the cross. Far be the very name of a cross 
not only from the body, but even from the thought, the eyes, and the ears of a Roman citizen. In other words, the Romans didn't even want to think about crucifixion if they were a citizen. That was like, you know, not polite talk at the Thanksgiving table. I mean, I've tried to explain this in the past to try to give us a little sense of what the cross meant in that culture. And the best way I can understand it is to say that if you took an electric chair and put it on a necklace and you walked around displaying an electric chair to others, people would say, well, that's, that's gruesome, that's disturbing, that's gross. Why would you display that? I mean, that's something to be kept away in an execution chamber. You don't put that out on display. And the cross was a picture and a symbol of horrible suffering and execution. And it says, not only was this cross painful, which we think of it very much in terms of pain, but it was very shameful. It was a humiliating death. It was the death of a convicted criminal. The death of someone where society was saying, you no longer have a right to exist among us. It was a public death. Many times people were crucified without clothing. And people would mock and make fun, as they did with Jesus. A shameful death. And the Bible says that our Savior left heaven and He went all the way to the death of the cross. And don't you think that this paints a background picture for, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Don't you think this paints a powerful display of let nothing be done through strife or boastfulness, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. These verses that we've looked at prior become so much more piercing when we have that backdrop of Jesus. If we can visualize Jesus on the cross and remember that He came from glory and then think through these verses about humility, it really shows us where where humility, if, if he could humble himself, then we must humble ourselves. And if he did that great act of humility, then many of the humilities we're called to are very minor, very small in comparison to this humility. And he says he humbled himself. You know, God can help you learn humility, but at the end of the day, we're called to humble ourselves. And your parents can try to humble you your teachers can try to humble you. Life can hand you some things that may humble you somewhat. But ultimately, humility is a choice. And it's a choice in two areas. In our thinking and in our choosing. If I think a certain way, it's going to affect whether I'm proud or not. If I think about my own things and I ignore the things of others, then I will be proud. But if I look on the things of others and I choose not to prioritize my own things, then it will be, bring me to humility. It's a way of thinking. And our minds need help, don't they? To think the way God calls us to think. And then to choose. In, in, in other words, to take specific choices whereby we humble ourselves. Where we let go of certain things. Where we let go of our reputation. We let go of our wealth. We let go of whatever it is God calls us to let go of, and realize that He has something different for us. I don't know all the ways this could be applied. I don't know all the ways God would use it in your life. But I think a fundamental question for us tonight might be, how does my thinking need to change? And what is it I need to let go of? 
I have preached to myself tonight, and I have preached to you. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we close. Dear Lord, we have looked at you. We have looked at your descent from heaven. And Lord, some of this is big and hard and, and mind-bending in theology, but help us not to forget the point. And the point is that we would see humility. And we might not understand precisely all the ins and outs and the depths of different words and meanings, but Lord, we know that we're called to humility. And we know that you humbled yourself. And you went all the way to the death of the cross. And I ask, oh God, that we would not forget that. That we would not minimize that. That we would let that truth pierce our hearts. May it pierce my heart, Lord. Help us to be known as a people of humility. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, any question or comment before we go to prayer? Question or comment? Okay. Where are the, okay, the prayer sheets are up here.